Great to see you, Purpose Church. Uh, our church has always been about reaching out to care uh, for those within our community. And this Easter, we're making a bigger effort than ever before uh, with Easter with Purpose Community Care event that we're putting on. Uh, yesterday, teams from Purpose went to three different apartment areas in Pomona where we've been intentional about building relationships through regular contact and outreach. And each team spent the day meeting and getting to know residents to find out how we can best come alongside these families. And they connected with over 300 families, uh, talking and praying with them and gathering information so that we can go back on March 27th with food boxes, hygiene kits, children's jackets, and other items uh, to take to bless these families. Uh, this is what we've been doing as a church for over 150 years here in the city of Pomona. And many of you uh, may have received a letter from me that looked like this uh, last week about our 150th anniversary building campaign. And really, we should call it a renovation campaign rather than a building campaign because we asked the Lord to help us make our building safe and more effective for ministry, uh, but without uh, with being able to do it in a frugal, cost-effective, uh, good sense of stewardship uh, so that we would not have to sacrifice our widespread and powerful outreach ministries locally and around the world. We want to do it and put the appropriate amount into our infrastructure, but at the same time, not having it in any way to hamstring our ability to reach people for Christ uh, around the world and through these ministries locally. And so the Lord uh, gave me the, a word from God's word, a word from the Lord. And it was Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 where God appears to Moses in the burning bush, and he told him to go and deliver his people from Egypt. Uh, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Uh, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And God often asks you in the Christian life, he'll ask us as a church, but he'll ask you as a follower of Jesus, well, what do you have? What's there in your hand? A staff, he replied. And so this old beat-up staff that had maybe been with Moses through 40 years of herding sheep in the wilderness, for 40 years, God is now going to use to herd people, the nation of Israel, in the wilderness for the next 40 years. So this thing that he had in his hand anyway wasn't something new God gave him. It was just what he already had. Uh, God used uh, through Moses uh, to strike the waters of the Nile, and it turns into blood. Uh, Moses raised that staff and the Red Sea uh, parted. Moses struck the rock at Horeb and water came out of it for the people uh, to drink. And so it was just what he already had, that's what God used. It's the same question that Jesus asked and Andrew said in John 6 verse 9, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And so God has been asking the same question to us on our 150th anniversary. What's in your hand, Purpose Church? What do you have? Well, we have 10 buildings on 11 acres. That's what our campus is, 10 buildings on 11 acres. And, and many of these buildings are old, just like Moses' beat-up staff uh, that he had in his hand. Many of them seem inadequate, like the loaves and, and fishes that the little boy brought uh, uh, to Andrew, who brought him to Jesus. Uh, so many of these buildings are old, but they are solid structurally, uh, particularly the worship center and the education building, what we call the E-building. 
Uh, one architect actually said that the E building, the education building, is structurally the best building for renovation that he's ever seen. And so this project is going to give us 74,300 square feet of new, uh, new space or newly renovated speech, uh, space that is going to enable us to reach generations to come, uh, adults and, and, and children and, and, and students, generations to come with the gospel of Jesus. Now, if you didn't receive uh, this packet that, that I was talking about, I'm so sorry about that if you didn't get it, but would you do me a favor? Would you please email us here at uh, info at purposechurch.com or call the church and we can email or mail you the information. I really want everybody in our church uh, to look this over. You will find it as I did, especially the brochure in it. You will find it very inspirational about uh, our history as a church, uh, where we've been, where we are, and then the, our future, uh, where we will be going until Jesus comes back. Now, it seems like a big project, but we can do this if everyone just gives, as I talked about last Sunday, a third more than they gave in 2020. So think about what you gave um, to Purpose Church in the year 2020, the last year, and if you can give a third more uh, for the next three years, a third, uh, one and a third, one and a third, one and a third, that's what Kimberly and I are doing, and I've heard of so many people that gravitated to that and said, I can do that. I can give one and a third what I gave in 2020 uh, for three years, and then that will replicate one year's uh, giving uh, income to the church. It'll be like four years of, of giving in over three years, and that additional year, it will completely complete this uh, awesome project that will just meet all of our, almost all of our foreseeable needs uh, for every generation. Now, of course, if you didn't give anything in the year 2020, uh, this is a great time to start giving, and anything you give towards this is going to be so helpful. And then if, if God enables you to give more than uh, one and a third, more than a third beyond what you gave last year, even more uh, than a third, one and a third, one and a third, one and a third, uh, that would be such a blessing. So I hope you'll join me in supporting this uh, campaign because together we're building for generations to come. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about one of the most controversial subjects in society today, which is uh, justice and how to go about achieving uh, justice. And so next Sunday, I'm going to preach on biblical justice and how it compares to the various theories and approaches to justice in our culture today. So that's going to be uh, next Sunday. But today, we're continuing our series, Jesus is Greater Than, with Colossians 2, verses 5 through 15, Jesus is greater than all the powers and all of the authorities. So the first thing Paul says here in Colossians 2, verses 5 through 7, is to keep making spiritual progress. Uh, one of our core values here at Purpose Church is growing people change. In the Christian life, we never stand still. We either go forward or we gradually slip back. You, you don't tend to stay status quo. You're either moving forward or you're slipping back. And Paul uh, gives us several pictures of spiritual growth, never being stagnant, just like that cub uh, climbing up the, the mountain there. Uh, he either tended to be, be going, he or she tended to be either going up 
or slipping back. And the same way is true with our spiritual growth. And so Paul's going to give us several pictures here in these next few verses. First of all, in verse 5, he talks about the army in Colossians 2, verse 5. He says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now Paul here is using military terms. Uh, he's saying that we need to be an army solidly united against the enemy. Uh, each soldier in his or her uh, proper uh, place and position. Last Sunday we talked about every follower of Christ gets a commission. This is your assignment in God's master plan and his grand scheme of things. And it's just as important as anybody else's commission. And we all have a spot in that army. And we need to fulfill that to the best of our ability because then victory will come. Uh, we make progress in our Christian lives in discipline and obedience, just as soldiers do on the battlefield. Uh, we said last Sunday the Christian life is meant to be a battleship and not a cruise ship. Now, another way to describe our, our spiritual growth through our life is a journey. Uh, Paul talks about a journey in, in verse 6. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Now, how do we come to Christ? We come to Christ by faith, for by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so that's how we come to Christ. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, I encourage you right now to say three words from your heart to God. Uh, say uh, sorry, say thank you, and say please. Sorry, thanks, and please. God, I'm sorry for the sin in my life and how I've um, sinned against other people and I've sinned against you, I'm sorry. Thanks, oh God, thank you so much uh, for Jesus, your death on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And then please come into my heart, forgive my sins, uh, cleanse me uh, from my sin and uh, forgive me and then be my leader, my Lord, my King and lead me from this day forward. So just pray those three words by faith Sorry, thanks, and please. And so we come to Christ by, by faith. For just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord by faith, now continue to live your lives in him by faith. So many times we, we realize salvation is by faith alone. But then once we come to Christ, we say, okay, God, I can take it from this point forward. I, I, I got this, Lord. And we live by our own strength from that point forward. But the vital Christian life, the growing Christian life, is not just to come to Christ and commit your life to Christ by faith, but to continue to live by faith every day of your walk as you follow him. Now another picture that Paul gives us here is a tree. In verse 7, he says, first word he says in verse 7 is rooted. Now, we love that word here at Purpose Church. This is a theme verse for our rooted experience over 1,500, I think it's approaching 1,600 now. Uh, well over 1,500 people here at Purpose Church have gone through the rooted uh, experience. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that uh, this year. They're in the middle of one right now, but another one will be starting soon, and I encourage you to take advantage of that. Now, rooted here is an agricultural term, which means rooted and grounded in God's Word. To make sure that we're reading God's Word on a daily basis. 
that we're feeding on God's word by being a part of a worship service. Every, every Sunday, every weekend, we, we, we gather together, whether online or in person, uh, to be fed by God's word, as you're doing right now. Uh, we do it in uh, small groups, in life groups as well. Because if we, are gra- if we are constantly in God's word, then we will be rooted, then we will be ground- grounded, and we won't be tossed around by everything that happens in our life or every new teaching uh, that comes along or every new thing that we hear. Ephesians 4, verse 14, Paul says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Boy, does that describe us so many times? You hear, you hear something new, uh, something new out there on social media or so, something new on the news or something, uh, you just some new teaching comes down the pike. And, 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 and if we're not grounded, if we're not rooted, we get tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And there are just so many false ideas. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to talk about that next Sunday here because a lot of Colossians is, is written to people that were dealing with this thing called Gnosticism and a false teaching in the church at, at Colossae. And so it says that we've, we've, just, we've got to be grounded. We've got to be rooted in God's Word so that we don't get tossed all over the place by waves or by the wind of new teaching. Isaiah writes in chapter 8, verse 11, Uh, The Lord has given me a strong warning. The Lord has given me, and Isaiah is sharing it with us, uh, 2,700 years later, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, the Lord has given me and has given us a strong warning not to think like everyone else does, he said. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Let me read that again. Could I go back to verse 12? Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Instead, what we're supposed to do in verse 13, uh, in the next verse, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one should, who should make you tremble. It shouldn't be all these ideas that we hear out there, all these things that are going on. It's God that we should hold in respect, that we should have holy fear for. He's the one that should make us tremble. Jesus said that really the only thing to worry about is, is going to hell. That's the only thing to be afraid of and the people around you going to hell. And Jesus said, don't fear those that can just do bad stuff to your body or, or, or can do certain things in your life to, to persecute you or to harass you. The ultimate fear as a follower of Christ, the, the main fear we should have is of uh, going to hell. That's the main fear. And once we've settled that by receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, now we worry about other people around us. And the main target we should have is heaven. And the main joy we should have is heaven. The main thing we look forward to is that. And the main fear we should have is for people to be eternally separated from Christ. And so he said, it's God that should make us tremble. He's the one uh, that we should fear. If we spend too much time fearing things that we don't need to fear, okay, things that are not really there at all. If we spend too much time Uh, fearing things that we don't need to fear, then we don't have the time and energy to fight the things that we do need to fear. Could I repeat that? 
if we spend too much time and energy fearing things that are, are not real, then we don't have the time and energy to fear the things that we should be afraid of and that are real. I mean, boy, this is true in my life. I've told you before, I am afraid of, of, of snakes. I just, just, I just got a chill down my spine. Just, just now, that picture pops up, chill down my spine. I have a, a tremendous fear of snakes. But do you know what? I looked it up here, Googled it uh, just earlier today. But do you know I have a one in, a one in 50 million chance of dying from a snake bite living in the United States? Other countries may be more dangerous, but living in the United States, I, I, I'm afraid of snakes. I have a one in 50 million chance of that happening, okay? But I'm terrified of snakes. This is a hamburger. I am not in any way afraid of a hamburger. You can just look at me and know that I do not have a fear of hamburgers. And yet when you add up all the kind of ways that a hamburger, uh, too many hamburgers can, can hurt me in my health, I have a one out of two chance when you add everything together that a hamburger can contribute to or too many hamburgers can contribute to, I have a one out of two chance, a 50% chance this is what's gonna kill me in the end. One in a 50 million chance that's gonna get me. 50%, one in two chance that that's gonna get me. And yet, what am I afraid of? I spent all this energy being afraid of this, whereas it's that that I really should be concerned about. Um, so let me give you an example of something that we should be concerned about or afraid about. An example would be the Equality Act that the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. just passed this past week. Now, um, it sounds so good on the surface. I mean, the Equality Act. If you're a follower of Jesus, we are all about equality. Jesus is the one that introduced equality into the world. We follow Jesus, and he's the one that came up with the idea. It was non-existent in the world in which he came into. It's all back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and so we should, more than anybody else, be all about that. Uh, but as I began to hear beneath the surface details about this and began to read them, uh, I began to be concerned. And so I did what I always do. I call my daughter, Abby. She's worked for 13 years on Capitol Hill. Uh, 13 years, she's been in all kinds of uh, positions as chief of staff and uh, chief congressional li liaison and, and, and all kinds of different positions there. She's been for 13 years, and she's very, very balanced. And so I said, Abby, um, I mean, whenever dad freaks out, he calls Abby and then says, Abby, should I be freaked out? And sometimes she'll talk me back, uh, very balanced. I said, is this uh, Equality Act, is it, is it, worth, is, is it worth worrying about? And she says, yeah, Dad, it is worth worrying about. Um, on the surface, it would prohibit discrimination against people based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, we may disagree with some of those things, but as followers of Jesus, we don't want discrimination against any person. As followers of Jesus, we, we're the most anti-discrimination. Uh, but if you begin to dig into it, you'll find that it includes things like hormone treatments for minors, potentially without parental consent. Um, it is very pro-abortion, and it could force churches and other religious organizations that reject those things to close its doors. 
So this is one of those times when regardless of, your, of our political party, we need to pray, and then if the Lord leads us to do so, if you decide to do so, to contact your representative and voice our opposition uh, to this act uh, of Congress. Now, another picture of growth in the, in the Christian life is a building. Uh, back to verse seven again, it says, and built up, in him, and this is an architectural term. He had an agricultural term, a military term, uh, now an architectural term. And then an educational term. Uh, the school in uh, verse seven, at the end of it, strengthening, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Um, it says uh, earlier in, in Colossians, he tells us, Paul tells us, who taught uh, the church at Colossae. Uh, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And then the next one, finally at the end here, is a picture of the river. He says in, in the end of verse seven, and overflowing with thankfulness. And it's a picture of a, is our spiritual growth is to be like a river overflowing the banks of our life with uh, thankfulness. In John chapter 7, on the last and greatest uh, day of the feast, of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now the next thing Paul says in verses 8 through 10 is to watch out for spiritual perils. And we talked about that a couple Sundays ago. I'm going to talk about that next Sunday uh, as well. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and over every uh, authority. Uh, Warren Wearsby writes about this. He says, the fundamental test of any religious teaching is, where does it put Jesus Christ, his person and his work? Does it rob him of his fullness? Does it deny either his deity or his humanity? Does it affirm that the believer must have some, quote, new experience to supplement his experience with Christ? If so, that teaching is wrong and it's dangerous. Andrina Sawyer writes, the ultimate act of surrender to God is rebellion against lies. The lies that the enemy has spoken to you and the lies that you might have told yourself uh, uh, about you. Uh, and then we move on to verses 11 through 15, where Paul says, draw upon your spiritual provisions. And of course, one of those is the power of prayer. Uh, Sarah Holmstrom, who's uh, Pastor Eric's wife and the elementary creative director of our children's ministry, uh, she has a book coming out next year called Raising Prayerful Kids. Isn't that a great uh, topic for a book? Raising Prayerful Kids. 
And it's with Tyndale House Publishers. And I just want you to know, this is a really big deal. If you know about the Christian publishing world, Tyndale is just one of the the giants. And for her to get a book deal with Tyndale is just like like a really big deal. And it's going to come out next year. And we're very excited about this. Well, Pastor Eric told me that uh, Sarah was talking on Friday to the editor of Tyndale uh, this past Friday. And he told her that prayer... The one word prayer is the number one search word on Google, and it has stayed that way since the beginning of COVID in 75 different countries. In 75 countries, for the entire year now that we've been in COVID, prayer has been the number one most searched words because people are looking, they're they're looking for spiritual provision, spiritual resources uh, to go through the year that we've been through. Priscilla Shire writes, we can't anticipate and provide for life's trials, but the Lord can and does. The Lord wants us to thirst, not after a quick fix to our problems, but after the life-altering refreshment of his provision. Uh, Paul talks about that we are circumcised in him. Uh, Verse 11, Colossians 2, verse 11. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Uh, Talking about a spiritual circumcision here, not a physical circumcision. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now circumcision was a sign of God's covenant uh, with the Jewish people. Um, And though it was a physical operation, it had a spiritual significance. Here's a challenge uh, from Moses to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Elisa Turkhurst uh, writes, we need to make sure our activities and our attitudes line up with what pleases God first and foremost. Wherever we focus our attention the most will become the driving force within our lives. And then Paul says that we are alive in Christ in verses 12 and 13. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And just a little commercial here. Uh, just like we do at the Fairplex um, each year. Uh, with our four outdoor Easter services under the tent at 7, 9, 11, and 1. After each one, we're going to have our baptismal uh, pools out there. And if you want to get baptized or if you have some, a friend of yours or somebody you know would like to get baptized, just like we do at the Fairplex at the conclusion of each Fairplex service, we have these big baptisms and it's just so exciting. Well, Easter is a great, great day uh, to do that because what Paul says here, he says the, what baptism illustrates is that when we go under the water, it's like being buried with Jesus in, in baptism, uh, but then when we come out of the water, it's like being raised from the grave. So it's like we're in baptism. When we go under the water, it's like being buried with Christ, identifying with Christ in his death, and then when we come out of the water, it's like the resurrection identifying with Christ in his resurrection. So Easter is just a, just a tremendous day um, to get baptized, and I encourage you to pray about that and think about that. And then he goes on in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. And then moving on to verse 14, uh, Paul says we're, to flee, we're, we're free from the law in Christ. 
We are free from the law in Christ. We've all broken the Ten Commandments. I know I have in just so many different ways. And so as a result, we have this huge debt because of our disobedience to God's holy lives, uh, uh, holy laws. And so in Bible times, uh, financial records were often kept on parchment, and the writing could be washed off. And this is the picture that Paul wants to paint here. He says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Every wrong thing you've ever done, that I've ever done. Anything we've ever said that we shouldn't say. Every person we haven't loved as we should love. Every thought we've had that we should not have. Christ, and when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you open up your heart and say, oh God, I'm sorry, and thank you for your death on the cross. Please, please take my sin from you in me. He says, he has taken it away and he has nailed it to the cross. Uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In Romans 7, verse 6, Paul says we have been released from the law. Romans 6, verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. William Barclay says, Christian freedom does not mean being free to do as we like. It's not that we get freed from the law so we can do whatever we want to. It means being free to do as we now ought to do. And then the final thing uh, Paul says in this passage is that in Christ, we are victorious in him. As Jesus was victorious, we participate with him in his victory. Uh, I love these uh, three quotes. I'm going to do them back to back from Christine Kane. She says, just as God gave Moses exactly what he needed to accomplish great things, he will equip us in the same way. If he calls us to slay giants, he will make us into giant slayers. And then Jesus didn't come to make us safe. He came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And then finally, The giant in front of you is never bigger than the God who lives um, in you. Uh, The final verse of this passage is Colossians 2, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Whenever a Roman general won a great victory on foreign soil and took many captives and much loot and gained new territory for Rome. He was honored uh, by an official parade known as the Roman Triumph. And he would walk into Rome with all the captives from the foreign territory. He entered into a foreign territory. He entered into a foreign place and and he took captives and he took loot there and he paraded it all back in Rome. And the Bible says that's exactly what Jesus will do. He came into enemy territory, uh, into Satan's territory, and he turned the tables on him. But Satan thought he had won with Jesus crucified, and he turned the tables when he rose the third day. And now what does it say? He disarmed the powers and authority. He, he disarmed Satan. He made a public spectacle of them And now he leads all of us in this triumphal parade from earth to heaven through the cross. 
Uh, Jesus said in John 12, verse 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince, that is Satan, the prince of this world will be driven out. And then 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, again, Paul is using this imagery of the the royal uh, Roman, the Roman triumph of these captives being led back from their territory where they've been captured uh, back to Rome in the same way that Christ uh, captures us and marches us back to heaven. It says in verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us now, now he, he captures us, but now he uses us in the greatest movement in all of world history as part of, he, he commissions us within his army. He sends us out now and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him, the aroma of Christ everywhere. Jesus is greater than all the powers and all the authorities. One more time. Jesus is greater than all the powers and all the authorities. Wherever you are, sitting with your family in your living room, sitting there at your computer, would you say that out loud with me? All of us, wherever we are, scattered across the world in different nations and across different states and, and, and across our Southern California or different parts of California, out loud, would you repeat that with me? Jesus is greater than all the powers and all the authorities and all God's family said, amen and amen.